everyone, and Happy New Year, although it's two weeks into the new year, we'll forget about that. Uh, this is episode 154 of Radio Trivia, podcast edition, and as has become the the bastardized tradition, uh, we have Greg Leahy on for a new year. Hello there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tangled web as to where we got here, but who cares? Let's, you know, embrace it. Uh, so, uh, as is usually the case when we're, when Greg's on, we, we make a, a slight exception. There's going to be one uh, import, I, I guess we'll call it import uh, game. We won't tell you which one it is. Yeah, although, funnily enough, last year, my import game was uh, Last Resort, a uh, Neo Geo shooter, which is no longer an import game because it came out on Switch after uh, yeah following that episode months later so uh, you never know uh, in in the future whether the import game will still be an import game so we got five games for you uh greg picked most of them we have one listener request and i am woefully unprepared so we'll see how this goes <laughs> it's very, you know it's spontaneity is the spice of life and all that <laughs> Alright, I'm going to pull up the first song.
A nice gentle introduction, I feel like, both in terms of the music itself and probably the uh, the challenge of guessing what this game is, I would imagine um, some people are going to be able to get it pretty quickly, but we shall see. ramping up the uh, the tempo and the tension a little bit but uh, it's time for the uh, the bonus slash hint question which I, I hopefully this year's ones are more helpful than certain years have been um, but uh, we're going to start this uh, game's question with this game's opening sequence uh, features the unveiling of a giant statue of which character alright last song guys we 
really do enjoy that last song and I think there's a few signature sort of elements in there that I would have hoped gives uh, some people at least uh, some ideas to narrow the the choice of game down to a couple of uh, things but um, I suppose we should reveal now uh, what the game is Uh, it is Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle with music composed of course by Grant Kirkhope of uh, Rare Fame I'm sure uh, yeah very very Banjo Kazooie or Donkey Kong. Very, very. I mean, probably I kind of uh, went, I probably chose some of the songs that were a little less like blatantly banjo in nature. Um, there are some, and I, I've mentioned this on RFM when I discussed the game, there's one that opens with like the sort of uh, quick sort of flourish of Freeze Easy Peak from Banjo, literally, in the uh, the sort of uh, frozen desert world in this game. So, you know, he wasn't uh, shy about it, let's <laughs> put it that way. But, you know, for me, I think it was just, um, it was a lot of fun to hear that style with this quality of instrumentation. Um, you know, because you just sort of associate it with uh, the N64 and that obviously have pretty significant limitations on what it could achieve in terms of the fidelity of the audio. Um, you know, at a certain point it was going to take, um, you know, processing power away from the rest of the game. Sure, sure. So, <laughs> especially with how ambitious the banjo games were, I'm sure, you know, they uh, kind of ran into that limitation uh, pretty severely. So it's nice to be able to hear kind of the full fat version of the of the kind of classic Kirkhope style. I assume, you know, um, ukulele has, uh, you know, similar so, you know, kind of sound to it, um, but I've not played that game yet. And that also has tracks, I think, by um, by D- uh, by David Wise. I believe you're right. Um, yeah, yeah. I haven't who, played who, either of these games yet, other than well, I, I mean, I played a demo of, of, of Mario Plus Rabbids, but uh, that's about it. And frankly, I just haven't gotten around to it. I, I was gonna, I was waiting until I had a chance to play it to use this, but. Uh, I mean, Greg, you mean you chose it. I wasn't going to hold you back on that, so... Nah, I see, I see. Uh, well, you know, like I said, uh, we, David Wise being on ukulele is kind of interesting because I don't think he contributed anything to the banjo games back in the day. Um, I, I, Diddy Kong Racing was, uh, was, I believe, a David Wise uh, soundtrack back on N64, but um, not that I'm complaining because I've heard some of his stuff uh, for ukulele and it's very good. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, in some ways, because this, this Mario plus Rabbit soundtrack is pure Kirkhope, maybe it's actually actually more banjo than ukulele is <laughs> it seems kind of odd but yeah it's it's interesting i suppose because there's i mean there's a few sort of references to the mario source material as you might imagine musically um given that you know peach's castle uh, is is a you know locale and that ties into our hint question uh, the the character whose giant statue is being unveiled at the start is of princess peach i kind of put that in there because i know james seemed to find that very um kind of disturbing off-putting yeah, good, for, good for her <laughs> i mean seriously Mar- mario <laughs> You know, Mario set up his own Meccano statue back in Mario Land 2, so, I mean, it's about time. 
Yeah, well, the thing is, though, is that it was that actually, you know, Mario, was that just a, an R&D one slur? <laughs> the, uh, the, giant, the giant Mario figure in Super Mario Land 2. I don't know, but yeah, so that, that's uh, I, just because their subjects love her that much. It's just, it's just, you know, maybe it's a case of absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, she gets kidnapped so often that they're just thrilled when she's around and they build giant statues in her honour. Do they explicitly say it's a statue of her, like, in, in the text, or is it possible it's, like, a predecessor of hers? <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Usually, you know, with Nintendo lineages, the people do look, you know, exactly the same in, in the family. Very, very, very tight-knit genetically. I assume it was meant to be of her, though. Uh, I don't think it's uh, any... Uh, uh, will there ever be a queen? That's the real question, <laughs> you know? Because uh, apparently if there's no one else around in the royal family, but she's still just a princess. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let's talk about this game a little. I mean, this is a, it's a it's a strategy RPG. I mean, it's it's kind of a I don't know what you I mean. I know people have used it uh, compared it to XCOM, which I never played. Um, yeah, same here. But uh, I mean, you got a team of what is it, four characters at a time. Um, and uh, you know, and you can kind of approach things different ways because you can, can combi- you can switch what order your characters go in, and they can kind of interact with each other. You can jump off of a character yeah, there's, there's, and there's a, go farther. And, there's a surprising yeah. amount of flexibility in kind of how you end up uh, kind of um, using the, your turn in terms of just how, you know, the amount of ground you can cover, and like, certainly more uh, flexible. Than something like um, Codename Steam, which has you know quite a few similarities, but it takes the whole you know Steam resource sort of um, uh, consumption a bit more kind of strictly in terms of you know with that like you've got Steam points or your movement, so yeah that's very limited. Whereas in this you have a movement range, but you can kind of go anywhere within that range before you ultimately kind of come to a stop so you can chain a whole bunch of things together in that time especially like these uh, moves where you can kind of just slide through an enemy to do a little bit of damage uh, on your way to doing something else and then yeah you're like you chain in you know, sort of uh, these sort of boost jumps off your party members and you know go ridiculously far especially if you've built up the characters to have you know sort of uh, enhanced abilities and stuff it's um it's quite uh, something ultimately what, what you can actually kind of put together in, in what is technically a single turn what surprised me at least from from the demo I played was um, it, it does kind of encourage you to play um, I mean, to make good use of your turn so to speak or you can't just sort of camp because the, the enemies will after a while kind of encroach on your territory and and uh, you know if you're not you know taking control of your own destiny so to speak uh, you can get in trouble. Yeah there's, uh, there's some there's some kind of missions where more enemies are gonna spawn and it's about you know you do that moving through the battlefield. So again, you know, camping in that situation is not going to be advisable because you're never just going to clear the field of enemies and then just walk you know, unencumbered to the goal. You know, they're going to keep coming. So it's all about making progress and fending them off as you do. 
do that, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I can't speak at all to the kind of storytelling <laughs> of this game, <laughs> um, but did you find it, uh, you know, satisfactory? I mean, I, I'm kind of in that boat of I don't really hate the rabbits, but but yeah, yeah, me, you know, I, it's yeah, kind of what I, you do I, with them. I've limited exposure to the rabbits. I played rabbits go home on Wii. That was it. Yeah, that, that's my familiarity with them. Um, yeah, so, which was yeah, a pretty enjoyable game in, in itself. Um, you know, which and more more reliant on you know the rabbits in that case because they're you know, that's the the whole game. You know, they're sort of weird character and their bizarre quest to go to the moon by piling trash up on top of itself. Um, but there's, there's definitely some sort of cute touches and all that, and you do get uh, you know these sort of weird the the you know, they kind of play off the the, the weird mashup angle with the characters and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's nothing too kind of overbearing or you know it doesn't really get in the way of the game or anything. So. Um, you know, it kind of, I think it added something, you know, the, the, the storytelling sort of uh, component to it without, um, you know, encroaching on on the gameplay component of the game, which is, you know, I found quite enjoyable. And obviously, if they make a, a, another mashup with the rabbits in some other franchise, they may not use the same, you know, game style. Maybe they will. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to wonder, you know, like, is this fresh only one time? You know, if, it, if it's, you know, rabbits go do bizarro things in a different franchise, does it have the same impact? Is it, do you think it would go stale? Or do you feel like the interactions between kind of the Mario universe and rabbits would, are, are such that if they took, say, you know, rabbits and, I don't know, Mega Man or, you know, some other <laughs> franchise, what, what it, <laughs> do you think it would still hold up? Or, or do you think it would be kind I think, of. I mean, I think uh, ulti- ultimately. Ultimately, if you get the kind of the game mechanics and all that kind of stuff right, I think um, you know it, it would work. I don't think it has to uh, carry the load necessarily. I mean, I think there was a sort of a novelty aspect with this, just in terms of, because, of course, this game was kind of a poorly kept secret uh, for a good <laughs> yes. while, where you know every, everybody kind of knew it was was coming, um, and and you sort of saw. I think in the evolution of people's reactions to it, that there was this novelty factor. It was at first, that there was a lot of trepidation of like this sounds like a, a you know a questionable idea, and then when people actually got to see the game and actually was like, oh, this the yeah, this this could be uh, this actually could be good and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think you'd have that same kind of um, roller coaster of uh, of perception sort of issues that you had if you was going to do it again. It would be kind of like oh well, you know. Like uh, the Mary Frost Rabbids turned out okay, so I think maybe people be willing to uh, to give it a go, kind of thing. But at the same time, it wouldn't have the uh, you probably wouldn't have the same impact in terms of the you know the the, the kind of the weirdness factor would be lost a bit. So I don't know whether it would actually grab people's attention as much either. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, I guess. In that case. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, this kind of makes me think back to Federation Force. Maybe you guys already talked about this on RFN, and that's why I'm thinking about this. But I feel like they both started in kind of similar places of like, wait, what are you doing? That seems like a horrible idea. But they were able to turn this one around, and, and, and the perception of the game ultimately didn't hurt it. I'm wondering how much of that was that they demoed the actual game at E3. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that was the thing. I think Mary, to be fair, Mary Plus Ravage was disadvantaged because people sort of heard about the concept and, and, and then the name, you know, through uh, reporting, but uh, there was no kind of um, official unveiling and all that to kind of, uh, like, fill people in for uh, on what it actually would be for quite some time after that. So it kind of um, it, it left some ambiguity for people to kind of fill with their kind of worst fears of what the game would be. Um, it, we, we, if, to the extent that that's true of Federation Force, you just have to put you know, lay the responsibility with Nintendo because that you know, they, that's how they chose to. They, there wasn't really like the same kind of leaking or uh, it was just how they tried to roll it out. And there, there, there was a few. To, you know, they kind of tried to almost like reboot their hype for the game at least once I remember where it's kind of like okay let's try and explain this again you know kind of thing and uh, you know and they never did turn that corner uh, and sadly uh, even though I think the quality of the product for what it is is there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever but um, I I think conceptually um, evidently people just weren't very receptive to, to what it was well, we should probably move on to the uh, next game here. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting little song there. Hopefully, uh, build a little bit of intrigue for uh, for what this game is going to be. I think it may be more difficult to guess than the previous game. <laughs> Thank you. 
Continuing the sort of industrial but kind of somber feel uh, of the first song there, I'm not sure how many uh, <laughs> how many people are going to have a strong inkling about what the game is at this stage, or indeed uh, if this help, uh, hint question will be at all helpful uh, before the final song here, but um, I have written it, so here it is. Uh, which of this game's antagonists closely resembles a member of the hero's party? A little bit of a U-turn with the final song. <laughs> Very different uh, personality to the other two. It's a little bit happier. 
Yeah, and very much more representative of this game sort of soundtrack in general, and this very much this series soundtrack. I, I mean, uh, I would hope if someone uh, listed has any familiarity with this series, that song would have put them uh, yeah, at least in the right direction. Although uh, asking them to guess the specific game might be a bit much. Uh, this is the third. Ganbare Goemon game for Super Famicom, uh, which came out in 1994, and uh, therefore it is our import game because it was never released uh, outside of Japan, uh, just like the the second and fourth Ganbare Goemon games uh, for Super Famicom also, uh, only the first, as the Legend of Mystical Ninja made it across. Well, I... I don't know. I played that first one for Super Nintendo. I don't think it's the best one in the series. It, it certainly isn't. Having played the all four <laughs> for the um, the Super Nintendo, uh, Super Famicom, I should say. Um, yeah, it, it's de- it's definitely not the strongest. It's kind of um, uh, still kind of caught between kind of what the Goemon games were before the Super Nintendo and then what they would become. Yeah, on Super Nintendo, uh, in terms of uh, still had some of these kind of nasty, like eight-bit sort of uh, components in the town, where you know if you get hit, you lose some of your capability and you get slower and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know some of those sort of frustrations because it was it was quite an early game as well, you know, so it's it's not really that surprising in retrospect that it was that way. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it mechanism very similar to someone like a Blaster Masters, like where if you get once you get hit, you're just sort of screwed. So I, I totally had to cheese the the save states to get anywhere. Ultimately, in uh, in that, I believe I believe Jenny and I played through it on uh, um, on the Wii U, where you, where you could do that. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, that, that helped at least get us to see the whole game, um, which, which was good. Yeah, I, I, I played that on Wii Virtual Console mm. for um, for a retroactive that we did, so I couldn't I couldn't uh, do, do the same kind of uh, smoothing off the rough edges. But um, yeah, yeah, there's still things to enjoy in the game, in that particular game when you get to the kind of side scrolling yeah. sections. It's just kind of yeah, the, the, the getting there a lot of the time could be uh, a bit of an issue. But um, with this third gun. Goemon game, it's a bit of a different style. They did kind of oscillate a little bit in their styles because the second game was uh, very much a sort of straight out platformer. You know, they got rid of a lot of the kind of RPG kind of uh, uh, stuff um, that had been in the first one and just you have a Super Mario World style map and you know, play through a whole bunch of levels so it was a, a lot more kind of um, all killer no filler kind of approach to it and it, yeah, I found it quite a bit more enjoyable as a result. The third one here um, actually sort of goes to, to quite a different structure. You have a top-down you know, Zelda-style view of an overworld, and then you have levels that are kind of um, you've got, like they are kind of a bit like sort of side-scrolling equivalents of a Zelda dungeon in this overworld for you to find. You know, so it's not just like a left-to-right situation. There's some minor puzzle solving. There's exploration, um, and also you can like switch your character among the four different characters in the party um, which is Goemon Ibisumaru, uh, Sasuke the Clockwork Knight and Yei the, the, the girl who can turn into a mermaid um, They, the, you could sort of switch uh, on the fly a bit like the um, 
the Judius mode uh, from um, Dawn of Sorrow on DS, where you could switch which were, uh, from among Julius and Alucard and Yoko. So yeah, that that's kind of cool, and, and it, you know, it, it, this one has a time travel theme, which is why you had that electronic music in the first two songs, because it <clears throat> Goemon games are. Always sort of the ancient Japan, set in ancient Japan, but in this one, Goemon ends up in a future version of ancient Japan. So it's like, well, somehow, you know, the the real Japan of the you know, the, the the late 20th century at some point devolves back into ancient Japan, but just with some neon stuff. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. It's just the sort of nonsense that Goemon specialises in. Um, but to answer the hint question, the uh, one of the antagonists, uh, Bisumaru, is basically your hero character, Ibisumaru, in a nun outfit. And she comes back, uh, I think, in one of the N64 games as one of the sort of major villains for some reason. But, um, yeah, I, I, this is quite, it's quite a significant language barrier with this game, as you might imagine, given those sort of adventure elements oh, yeah. that I talked about. Um, but, I mean, I managed to get through it, play uh, you know, using FAQ, playing it on the Japanese virtual console, my Japanese Wii. Um, so it's not impassable, you know, when you, when you get these uh, sort of problems where it's like, okay, you've got to talk to the right um, NPCs or whatever, you know, like the, it, there's some fiddliness, but it is it's doable if you could kind of um, consult with an FAQ. But, you know, uh, the main thing for me was getting to the, those sort of um, side scrolling dungeony levels and then a of course, the impact boss fights are there intact and they're a lot of fun. I really do enjoy those. They're always some of my favourite parts of the Goemon games. There's a, you know, like I said, they change stylistically quite a lot, you know, uh, both the um, Super Nintendo games and the N64 games. But a lot of the time, the impact boss fights are kind of uh, a, a, you know, a highlight of those particular games. And that's definitely true here because they felt like a bit more, um, you know, kind of thought out than they were in the, the second Goemon game for Super Famicom I believe was the first one that had the impact boss fight where it's kind of like punch out for people who don't know you know it's a first person view inside a giant robot um and you can punch and block and shoot and all that. You know, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun and they're, they're definitely really good in this one. But um, for me, the music of the Goemon games is a big part of the personality. Especially, you know, Super, Super Famicom, you know, it's got some of that trademark Konami sound, um, you know, uh, but also... Uh, it, got, it's, it doesn't sound like other Konami games in a lot of respects because it's so specific to the, the whole ancient Japan setting and all that kind of stuff and it's got some of that kind of goofiness that um, you might see in a, a parodious game, um, these sort of farcical elements to it and all that so it's a, it's a unique combination of elements that make these Goemon soundtracks and then with this one you've got the those sort of electronic, uh, your future things to it as well so it's a bit unlike any of the other ones so it's um, a really really cool soundtrack a lot, a lot of fun um, to listen to and I thought probably probably the most different because I mean I that there's a lot that haven't been localised obviously not, not nearly all the Goemon games have been used on radio trivia but you've used yeah, some 
uh, that have come across like the N64 games and the Super the, the the one Super Nintendo game that was localized. Did Did you ever play the Nintendo DS? Uh, game? I did. Yeah, that was. I spoke about that. <clears throat> On RFN, uh, because um, that was like one of the last major games to track down for me. You know, I didn't start playing Goemon games until I had my Japanese Wii. I've, uh, I've talked about this before. I had a kind of near miss as a child um, in that um, we, we was reading the, the magazines and stuff for the original um, when that came out, uh, the original Gunbari Goemon for Super Famicom which came out sort of close to when we purchased the Super Famicom was getting good reviews and all that but it had the issue of uh, language barrier so in the end as much as it sounded cool like we love Konami games and all that it was kind of like too much of a risk you know in a pre-internet era so like I'm just kind of getting hopelessly stuck um, and, and yeah the amount of money that was involved so I missed out on it back then and uh, you know I kind of always been interested in the series ever since but never did get around to playing it until uh, it was on the, the Japanese Wii and I played uh, you know, a few of those games Games really liked them. Started tr- hunting down more and more of the games, and the last one really that was like okay, Nintendo system going on game that I really want to see what it's like is the DS game, and that, that I finally did get a copy of that, and um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's uh, kind of a bit limited, a bit you know, a bit weird in places, but um, yeah, and of course there's the you know the issue of, of getting through the language with that as well, right? right. Um, but but I kind of bungled my way through it. So, so you're description of this game really does sound a lot like that Nintendo DS game in a, in a lot of respects. It, it definitely yeah, has it, the, it, it, over, it, that, the Zelda it, overview type, overworld type uh, towns and, and, and world, and then you find dungeons uh, that are side-scrolling with some small puzzle elements to them. Um, so I'm just, just curious how this compares to that. It's definitely the most similar, uh, you know, uh, structurally uh, that, that I can think of the games I've played to to this third Super Famicom game. Um, you know, it, obviously there's some difference in terms of it was using the DS, um, you know, kind of uh, the novelty factor oh, oh, yeah, of the time yeah. with with hey, please with touch screen. Things like that, and, and, and of course, the way they handled impact was quite different because it was this whole thing of like, okay, you're like your remote controlling it from a distance right. rather than piling in from the, the cockpit and stuff. Um, you know, so they did some cute things, and it has that, that art style, you know, the kind of watercolor look to it, um, which I, I, I think um, it, it looks really, really nice on DS actually, still, even though I played it many years after it was new. Um, I, I thought it held up pretty well in the visual department. I mean, I would say probably um, the, the Super Famicom game has the edge in terms of the, the kind of the amount of levels and the, the level design and things like that. It's a bit more kind of robust. It's not as leveraged on the novelty of, of the DS being new or, or some of these other things. But um, it's, it's, it's a pretty, yeah, it is pretty similar, you know, and uh, I did, uh, I enjoyed both. And uh, that was kind of the end of my Goemon journey, the DS game.
because I don't think we're going to get very much out of Carbon in the future. Uh, not that I've played everything, because there was a huge amount of games that came out, you know, for, for obviously, you know, PlayStation, all sorts of things over the years, but uh, so there was ones that really seemed worth tracking down. I've kind of hit it now, and he's not totally forgotten. There was a recent update to the Switch Bomberman game that had a Goemon reference in it. Um, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that's sort of the uh, current repository for forgotten Konami things. <laughs> uh, the, the Bomberman Switch game. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, if, if Konami decides they actually want to dabble their toe in more traditional games again, um, I could see them doing some sort of compilation re-release of Goemon games. That would be a relatively low-risk development, you know, localized like the Super Nintendo games and put them together yeah they did I remember uh, GBA they actually released I think the first two uh, Gambare Goemon games as a, as a compilation cart back then um, you know so it's the sort of thing they've done before with the franchise alright well we, we're, uh, we're already running kind of long so let's uh, go to the third game which yeah, uh, is actually one that Greg does not know this is the listener yeah request. let's see how I do I failed last year I think I failed the year before, was there, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go this time. think I know this. Interesting combination of sort of instruments there. I'm not even sure I've got a system yet, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. That's the way I like it. <laughs> Alright, 
I'm no closer. It's good music, though. Yeah, no, it, it, it's fun, but that hint question is, is going to have to be a doozy if I'm going to get anywhere near this. All right, well, here's your hint question. What does the power glove enable you to do in multiplayer? <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> That last song, I think I've heard it in in another form at some point. Um, it's it's killing me. It's in there somewhere, but I don't think I'm going to be able to get this. Uh, I just I've heard it, <laughs> but I don't think I've heard it. You know, in that uh, you know, presumably from the hint question NES uh, uh, style. So yeah, and also I'm intrigued at the notion of the power glove being able to do anything. So uh, you're going to have to put me out of my misery, I think. I've trolled you pretty hard here, Greg. Um, oh, okay. I, I confess I've trolled everyone pretty hard here. So this is a request from Andy L.A. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, E-L-E-Y. Um, this is Bomberman Tournament for the Game Boy Advance. Yes, that was yeah, Game Boy Advance that. music. Uh, early uh, GBA release that clearly kind of using, I don't know. I think you could use like the Game Boy Color Chip for processing yeah, in GBA, yeah. so I think that's kind of what was going on there. You know what, that that was my first thought, is that it was uh, yeah, either like an original Game Boy or GBC soundtrack, uh, but yeah, that's true, like uh, Konami did that for um, 
harmony dissonance as mm-hmm. well yep. but as a way of kind of yeah you know um, improving the graphical sort of fidelity from where it was on circle of the moon yeah so so this is a actually surprisingly early gba game um it's um i mean it, it has kind of this quest mode which i guess several of the bomberman games have had over the years um it looks kind of like a uh I don't know, actually kind of visually reminds me of maybe like the Pokemon Game Boy Advance games. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's some levels you go through and some, I guess, dungeons sort of and bosses. And then, of course, there's the standard um, multiplayer. And um, and one of the power-ups in that is the power glove. <laughs> is the power glove. <laughs> um, I, I uh, kind of trolled you there with the question. Uh, nice, I like it's it. It's not the power glove, but it's the power glove power-up. And uh, that enables you to pick up and carry uh, and throw bombs. So uh, this, I think, this may have been the the last game they released before Bomberman Generation um, for the GameCube. So I, I think they're probably pretty close in terms of um, at least the multiplayer. The, the, the battle modes from the description sounded pretty similar in terms of the. Yeah, so I, I've like. actually played a little bit of this. A friend of mine had it. And uh, there was a link cable mode where you didn't have to. Have, I assume it was like more limited than the full mode, but you know you could. They, they did this with the sort of download play mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. on GBA, where you can have limited uh, uh, multiplayer just based on one copy of the game. So I played it a little bit. I doubt the sound was on or particularly intelligible through the, the GBA single speaker. But yeah, I've, I've all I have played. I've never actually owned a Bomberman game. Um, but I've played you know, other you know, games in the series as well, so I'm thinking that's probably where I've heard that song before. Um, the, the final song, I assume it's a recurring battle theme. I didn't Bomberman recognize games. it from any other Bomberman game. I've only played a couple of Bomberman games, though, so it, it's very it's just, I feel like I've, I've heard that with different instrumentation somewhere. Yeah, but better instrumentation, shall we say. Sure. Uh, I mean, it could also have been part of some... You know, Konami's released a few games that have, you know, callbacks to other series, you know. So, oh, it's, you know, yeah, who knows? Yeah. It could be part of some... What was that, like, Konami fighting game thing? I don't know. Yeah, was that, was that after they'd uh, absorbed Hudson or whatever at that point? Or, uh, I, I don't know. I but, forget when But that, that was a GameCube exactly. game, though, right? So I, that would have come out after this. So it's maybe that song's in there. I, I don't... I don't know. But uh, it actually looks pretty cool. I, I I never really knew about this game, so um, I have never played it. But I, I suspect if I had picked this up at launch, I would have really liked it. I, I liked uh, Bomberman Generation quite a bit on GameCube, and, and this seems no, kind of similar. I had fun with it. That was you know, that was really the first time I'd ever done like uh, portable multiplayer. Was the Mario Kart? Super Circuit oh, and, yeah. and this and um, the yeah, you know the was it the um, the Mario Brothers uh, you know that that came with everything on GBA <laughs> oh, like, like, <laughs> like <laughs> five copies of that bundled with all the, the Mario Advance series well yeah I mean I only ever played it like where I think my, a, a friend again had a GBA early a friend of mine and he had Super Mario Advance you know the the, the port of Super Mario Brothers two. Uh, that, that had it on it and uh, you know so we played all of those sort of early games kind of testing it out uh, the, you know and I, I, I mean the Bomberman was, was loads of fun 
um, we probably probably had the, the most fun out of all of those uh, I would say um, but it was it was obviously it wasn't kind of uh, limited in terms of the first but you had that original GBA screen and all that kind of <laughs> stuff I mean oh, it was uh, yeah it was a bit of a pain to actually necessarily see what was going on but it, when it when you when you could and you had to have the cables and yeah. everything you know I mean it was a long way away from from where you'd get to with you know 3DS or something like that but um, you know in terms of just when you could get it going it was it was great fun all right well thank you andy for that request and nice if you have a request i have received several requests recently i really appreciate that but uh, we're always taking more even though i love the way that you managed to uh, get that in after i mentioned goemon being in bomberman just to make me look extra silly so, uh, <laughs> hey you, you set know, yourself so. up for that yeah. uh, <sighs> what you, can you say you can, you can email your request to typ at nintendoworldreport.com and uh, I'll get through them. Um, when you submit several requests at a time, I, I do take note of them, but please bear in mind I may not uh, get to all of them, especially given the slower pace I've been doing these recently. But, uh, but I do appreciate the requests.
very dramatic. Uh, now we're back in in my domain once more. Yeah, well, th- this doesn't bomb around. Unless it's that <laughs> reboot that was terrible. Could be. Could be that. <laughs> I can imagine it having music like that. Plenty of food for thought with that song. Uh, if uh, anybody's kind of thinking, um, maybe uh, it sounds familiar, and hopefully the hint question here will kind of add to that. So uh, we've got which special move 
constitutes a reference both to a Sega arcade classic and one of the GameCube's Capcom 5? It's a pretty generous hint question there. It is, but I said, there's some years they've been not nearly so generous. to go go baby so uh yep the uh that last song's got an interesting uh cocktail of instruments in it i think the bagpipes are in there somewhere uh <laughs> but um you know i think with the hint question hopefully uh people would have been able to to guess uh what game this is or which of the two games in its series it is um yeah based on the sega bit uh so this is bayonetta on wii u originally for nintendo systems in 2014 and of course it will be on switch uh, not that long after this episode comes out i guess yeah it's like a month away from when we're recording basically Cutting the, yeah you know, just just over by a few days um so i didn't play this game i i, I played just bayonetta 2 i only purchased bayonetta 2 and i stand by that purchasing decision i think i see what 10 bucks <laughs> Yeah, I forget how the, the pricing worked in the different And they did regions. something similar for Star Fox Zero, right, where they had the kind of the two games that they released and you could buy them together. 
guard, yeah, be in the uh, kind or, of... Or just uh, choose one of them. And, you know, it's interesting choice because, I mean, okay, 50 bucks, I, you know, it's lower than 60. It kind of got me to in the door. And then I decided, oh, I don't need to play another one of these. So I, I guess the marketing or, or, or sales strategy worked for me. Um, I didn't dislike Bayonetta 2. Uh, I just, I'm terrible at it and didn't feel like putting in the time to really learn the combat system that well. Because I, I feel like a lot of the appeal in these games is, is uh, really getting better at the combat system, learning the, the levels and, and the, you know, doing the high score run or, or yeah, you know, metal the, runs. The, the better, yeah, yeah, the better trophies, trophies, I guess, whatever they were in this game. But, um, I mean, it, it's, it's... <laughs> It's kind of like how I feel about first-person shooters, right? Where it's like, I, I can tell there's quality here, and there's a lot of thought. It's just I, I'm not a huge fan of this style of game. And uh, and so I, I played through Bayonetta 2 once, and I kind of put it on the shelf. And uh, certainly if I came back to it, I wouldn't know what the hell I'm doing at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to come back to these kinds of games if you've, you're cold. Um, yeah. you know, cause you, for me, like I did play, I, I did beget both. I played them in order. Because I'd not previously played Bayonetta, I played a demo when it was new on PS3, which was bad because the PS3 version was poor. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, the 360 was the lead platform, and the PS3 version just did. Uh, certainly, uh, I don't know how much it got patched or improved as time went on, but you know when it was coming out, it it, it was um, poor. So I never did play it. You know when it was originally coming out, and then you know I sort of uh, went for for both games, played them in order. Uh, when they both came out on Wii U and um, you know I think in in most respects I preferred the second one I mean aesthetically it's a lot more colourful that's kind of uh, a big deal the the first one has this kind of sepia like golden tone throughout uh, which kind of gets a bit old Um, and uh, yeah also I would give the soundtrack probably the edge to the second one um you know especially like the theme song and stuff i prefer it in the second one um which um has been used on radio trivia before it was a telethon a telethon episode uh, only had time for a couple of songs but um still i do like the soundtrack in the first one too um you know and it's a very big soundtrack lots to it and it's a sort of interesting dichotomy of elements because bayonet is all about killing all these sort of uh monsters that are supposed to be angels uh, there's a lot of kind of uh, choral wailing you know, very big you know kind of apocalyptic sounding stuff and then sort of juxtaposed with the sort of more like chill piano driven like Bayonetta doesn't really give a shit feel <laughs> Uh, that's a good way to describe it yeah yeah so it's yeah like like, all this kind of biblical crap like coming at her and she's kind of you know like that's very much what they're going for with the soundtrack the way those sort of elements play off each other Um, you know and that's true in the second game too but it kind of started here but um, the second song if anybody was having a similar experience to what I was just having with the Bomberman thing, the second song is actually the boss theme from Fantasy Zone. Uh, you know, sort of redone 
uh, you know, with obviously you know uh, realistic instruments and all that, as opposed to the FM synth of uh, Fantasy Zone back in the day. And uh, there's a number of arcade Sega arcade references and and you know, musical uh, you know, remixes because it's something about Sega apparently that inspires this kind of tribute. Um, I remember uh, Gunstar Superheroes on GBA. You know, it was very much the same way in terms of like, oh, well, we've got to have an afterburner section. We've got to have a, uh, a Thunderblade section. You know, <laughs> like, just, uh, I guess there's that level of respect in the industry, uh, you know, for Sega's uh, arcade classics that uh, people want to um, reference it. And because, because the original Bayonetta was published by Sega, uh, you know, before Nintendo had to kind of step in to kind of help get the second and now a third game uh, made. Um, you know, it had all the, you know, you had uh, space area stuff in it and, and Afterburner and all this kind of stuff. So the uh, the answer to the hint question, special move, that's a reference to a Sega arcade classic and one of the Capcom 5, is the Afterburner kick which is a very, very much like Beautiful Joe's Red Hot Kick, uh, which you'll remember him from him saying, Red Hot Kick, over and over again. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of overlap with Beautiful Joe, uh, as you might imagine, given that you know, this is uh, much the same team uh, at Platinum. Um, and it wasn't really that long after Beautiful Joe, was it? The original Bayonetta was uh, when it first came. Was it 2009? I think I want to say. So, you know, it seemed longer, farther apart at the time. But but that, you know, from their time at Clover, back uh, within Capcom. But uh, you know, looking back on it now, it was relatively soon after. And yes, it's you know, it's a 3D character action game, but it's very similar in terms of how it assesses your performance and how you use in-game currency to buy these special oh, yeah. moves and improve your performance. And then you kind of go back around and you know, use all the powers you've accumulated to get you know better scores from the start, kind of thing. I mean, it's it's the platinum formula, uh, very much in action, you know, in both cases, and. Uh, I said I think maybe the one thing I'd say about the original Bayonetta is it seems a bit better balanced uh, for the sort of higher level play um, you know there's some kind of extra systems in the second one which seems like they're a bit more kind of exploitable um, but uh, in the main I kind of found the, the the second one to be kind of more spectacular and more fun you know so certainly the first time through that was the the one I enjoyed more we got one last game here. We do, and then it's on to 2019, Lord. terrifyingly. <laughs>
that's a level of tranquility I think that, that that will help help us all get through the year to come at some point I think if you could just sort of put your mind into that place be able to put the noise out of your head and all that I think that could come in handy no comment <laughs> Less tranquil, certainly, uh, but uh, it's still got a very sort of pleasant sound to it. Uh, so it's time for the hint question for the final song of uh, my episode this year, which is which NES title is described in this game as an inevitable tragedy?
Okay, then it's time to uh, to divulge. And in this case, I did kind of uh, think I might be able to slip this past people because they might not have expecting you know the the same series to feature in back to back episodes. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um... You do realize what we used uh, last time, right? Oh, I do, I do. Yeah, but uh, this is Hey Pikmin for 3DS. Uh, yeah, so um, I've not talked about this in RFN, but I have actually played through this game. See, my, um, my impression it- here is that this is a good soundtrap trapped in a bad game, uh, s- similar to uh, Star Fox Assault. It's. Uh, I definitely like the soundtrack better than the game, and it was kind of a pleasant surprise. Um, uh, not that you know this is all their responsibility, but uh, our Zest games have had a bit of a checkered past with the soundtracks. If, if people think about Yoshi's New Island, has uh, had some dubious choices uh, in its uh, in its <laughs> soundscape, shall we say? Um, but yeah, with this. Uh, hey, people! I, said, I um, picked this up in November, so uh, people with uh, good memories of RFN can choose from the following two possibilities: one, that I was so taken with Guillaume's effusive praise for it that I was persuaded to buy it, or secondly, that uh, there were a lot of sales going on at the time and it was cheap. Um, I think you could probably guess which of the two was the scenario because so, Guillaume was not fond of it at all he really was, didn't uh, didn't enjoy it I um, did give it a go because uh, mainly because I just like uh, yeah, the Pikmin series a lot and, and I wanted to see what they did with it and uh, certainly like I said as a sort of extension of the soundtrack the whole kind of um, aesthetic and, and how they use the Pikmin kind of look and feel um, I was pretty pleased with that component of it um, you know graphically uh, there's no uh, 3D effect or anything because it plays out over the two screens it's, it's kind of a nice throwback actually I, I don't know I, I might be one of the few people that actually like those games that use the two screens of the DS um, you know that sort of expanded real estate you know mm-hmm. like Contra 4 for yeah. instance um, I actually like that so it's kind of a fun little throwback as we presumably go into the the death throes of dual screen Nintendo handhelds here um, it's kind of nice to get one of those again um, you know uh, before it's over uh, and uh, you know it has the kind of a, a, a pre-rendered kind of look for a lot of the uh, the backgrounds and all that which which helps kind of preserve that feel of, of the console Pikmin games where it's like okay you've got these kind of funny little non-detailed almost like claymation characters in a very realistic world like that, it, it preserves that feel pretty well in a side-scrolling context with these sort of pre-rendered elements around the polygonal characters of Olimar and the Pikmin and the enemies and things. So yeah, it, it preserves that component of Pikmin you know, kind of surprisingly well. And then the soundtrack is is a little bit different from the average Pikmin game. A lot of this is somewhat more upbeat because Pikmin does very much go for the tranquility thing, doesn't it? Even though the game itself can be quite stressful 
Um, but you know the way they're trying to present you as being in this sort of wilderness and everything. Usually the music is very kind of relaxing and uh, and all that. And the and the, the titled screen, which was the first song in this case, reflects that very strongly. In terms of the levels, because it is a side scroller, I guess, so there's much more of a kind of uh, a, a sort of clear forward momentum to the to the game. It's uh, it tends to be a little bit more upbeat than the typical Pikmin songs, but but um, it retains that kind of uh, chill sort of vibe to it for the most part. And it, but it just sounds very high quality. And, uh, you know, like I said, it kind of feels like it, it could be part of the same kind of Pikmin world. So that, that, that which is important because even though this is a side scroller, so it's got more of that kind of A to B mentality than the average Pikmin game. It is quite slow-paced, very slow-paced, really. Um, probably even more so than a, than a Yoshi game. I mean, it's similar in terms of, you know, just getting to the end is pretty easy but you know you're trying to you know uh, you get rewarded for you know not losing any Pikmin you get treasures to find uh, you know not unlike finding the flowers or something in a, in a Yoshi game but this is very slow-paced uh, more so than a Yoshi game and so you know uh, the music kind of reflects that uh, to a fair extent if it was like crazy upbeat or so if it was like a Kirby game I mean for instance like Mass Attack which shares some conceptual similarities with this in terms of the touch screen and having a bunch mm-hmm. of you know, things to uh, direct with it that's got a much more kind of uh, you know upbeat and uh, enthusiastic kind of feel to it that you would expect for any Kirby game really because that's very much his, his his vibe in any game that he's in, where even if it's like bloody, uh, you know, Dream Course, which is pretty slow paced, <laughs> it's still very, very uh, upbeat musically. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, simpler and slower than something like Mass Attack, you know. And I, I think it's that you're very much trying to kind of introduce the Pitman characters and world to, to people who, you know, probably you know, younger players, perhaps, or less experienced players that might find the actual core Pikmin games a bit much for them but I still feel like it's a bit too simple and slow for its own good you know I don't really disagree with with what Guillaume said about it when he spoke about it on RFM it's, you know it's um, you know it, it, I would say it's uh, poor but it's it, it's a bit uh, kind of by the numbers and safe and simplistic and all that but it, but it has its moments and um, very much I would say you know the, the kind of um the atmosphere and some of the additional touches I think are, are some of the nicest things about it and some of the most authentically Pikmin things about it for instance the answer to the hint question the NES title described as an inevitable tragedy is Super Mario Brothers because um, you one of the treasures that you find at one point is a cartridge of Super Mario Brothers and the inevitable tragedy component I wish I could remember the specific words but it's cause it, the label of the cartridge is the, the, the black box artwork of the you know, the, the pixel Mario about to hit a block. And it's, so the uh, Olimar is describing what he's seeing in this label as like, oh, he's clearly going to hit that brick. So it's <laughs> the, an inevitable tragedy. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of, uh, like, I think Ice Climber is one of them, uh, which is described as revenge fantasy for some reason. Um, you know, there's a lot of these really amusing descriptions, even 
it's not like a Game Boy cartridge or some of the other Nintendo references. Um, just the everyday objects that he finds. He had these bizarre sort of explanations of what he thinks they are, uh, what they do, and, and the sort of musings he has about his life back home, like how it relates to and all that. It's, it's, it's a funny sort of amount of character building that's gone into all these descriptions of this this sort of uh, treasure trove that you build up. It's it really it does. Yeah, I'll admit it did add to the kind of desire to find these things to just read whatever sort of crazy sort of uh, you know introspective nonsense that Olimar was going to come up with for, for what they were um, you know so that those sorts of things are all kind of I think presentationally I, I, I really wouldn't have asked for more I just would have wanted uh, you know a more kind of um, in-depth and, and, and more complex game design underneath it yeah, fundamentally it's solid enough it's just very kind of, kind of vanilla but it's not really for me you know it's, it's it's not aimed at me i don't think this game so i can kind of obviously the best games can can bridge that gap you know and, and have the more complicated things in there for the players that that want it and, and and can use it while it's still nice and approachable for younger players and it's not a balancing act that this game really seemingly even tries to achieve I mean I guess there's a few more complicated things in terms of finding some of the treasures but it never gets that that much but um, I found it to be a sort of pleasant enough experience Uh, you could debate whether it was worth the time I spent on it I guess but uh, you know I I, I still kind of felt like um, it was worth seeing just because of how much I like Pikmin hmm you mean the world of Pikmin, so to speak? Yes, yeah, the, the Pikmin property, the franchise, all that kind of, you know, just, just uh, I've got enough affection for it that just, you know, seeing it presented in this different form game, you know, I got something out of that in in, in itself. Did, did you finish the Arzest or Artoon uh, Yoshi games? I, d- I did finish those Ooh, two, you got a yeah. strong stomach, man. Uh, I mean, those were uh, significantly, um, especially Yoshi's Island DS, was actually like relatively difficult uh, compared to other Yoshi games. Anyway, it was certainly wasn't as sort of um, pleasant and straightforward as this. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, Yoshi's Island, New Island, I should say. Yeah, the muse, the jibes about the music aside, it, it, that's like, sort of uh, I, I'd say sort of more. Um, more less flawed than Yoshi's Island DS, but it's also just painfully safe, you know. And and really, you know, especially now that you've got it on um, SNES Classic, the original is just you know it's the better way to go, really. Because uh, you know the, the, the New Island doesn't really add much to it, um, you know, and and the level design I don't think is as good. It's just the very controls very aren't as good either. <laughs> I actually like the gyro aiming though, and that was the one thing I will say. I always, I always do like um, being able to just uh, do a bit of gyro aiming. But yeah, the handling of the character, no, I don't think it's as good. All right, well, we do need to wrap this up. It's, it's getting sure pretty long, and uh, I gotta see what's going on with the baby. So, uh, thank you, Greg, for doing most of the work and most of the hosting this episode. Um, I, I guess I'll do most of the editing. That's fair. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can hear Greg on Radio Free Nintendo. It's a podcast. You can find it on iTunes and uh, probably other 
places as well as nintendoworldreport.com of course uh, you're on pretty much every week uh, again yeah, so. yeah even, even if I'm uh, a little under the weather like I am now I usually manage it uh, just about and uh, <laughs> you don't need any improvement uh, for uh, the, the uh, quick uh, playoff uh, disposal of the bills oh, just glad, glad we got there yeah, finally so. didn't it we yeah, were just glad so, to be here. Huh? All right. Uh, <laughs> yep. Well, it's, it's sad but pretty. I'm sure my younger self would find it pathetic that I've reached this point where I'm just happy to get there. But uh, screw that guy. I never liked him anyway. All righty. Well, um, until next time, uh, keep listening to our other podcasts and have fun. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to joining you to to close out the decade next oh, year. Oh, <laughs> Lord. You gotta freeze it like that. Oh. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, it will be the 10 year anniversary of my first appearance of Raging Trivia in March. Ooh. So, yeah. Wow. None Alrighty. of us are getting any younger. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe we'll talk on RFN or something before then. I hope so. I, I, very, I very much enjoy that. See you later. Bye-bye. Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle is copyright 2017 Ubisoft Entertainment. Gonbari Goemon 3 is copyright 1994 Konami. Bomberman Tournament is copyright 2001 Hudson Saw. Bayonetta is copyright 2014 Sega. A. Pikmin is copyright 2017 Nintendo.